You're queen, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King with a special focus on his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series. We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in Palaver episodes, and review the books and comic series in Kef episodes. We also discuss non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, and the latest news about all things that serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com, and follow us on every level of social media at Tower Junkies Pod. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Hurt, and with me today, as usual, is Tiny. Hey, guys. Hi, Tiny. How's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. Good. Do you want to tell the audience what we're doing today? We are reviewing The Institute, the latest from Sir King. Yes, we are. Um, And before we do that, we do have some Stephen King news that I don't have on the list here. (laughs) Uh, News actually broke today. Um... Whew. Well, where, where to begin? The one piece of news that I had. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, Shudder's reboot, remake, revision of Creepshow on Shudder mm-hmm. was officially renewed for season two today. Cool. Um, the, as of this recording, we're recording this uh, Halloween Eve 2019. And uh, tomorrow night, or tomorrow, uh, the season finale airs. Uh, which is interesting because I don't remember the name of the story that it's going to have, but it is based on a short story. It's an adaptation of a short story from Joe Hill's latest short story collection, Full Throttle. Um, and it is, that segment is going to be directed by legendary, uh, effects artist, I think, <laughs> uh, Tom Savini. Oh, cool. Um, so yeah, so that should be pretty cool. <clears throat> Um, I know, Tiny, you said that you were going to consider getting a Shutter subscription and checking it out. Have you done any of that yet? I've not done that yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've still only watched the one segment of one episode. Okay. Um, I'm really excited to just go in and watch all of it. Nice. Um, really excited because I guess episode two, one of the stories has, uh, um, cast in it, uh, Kid Cuddy. Uh, oh, interesting. I'm... A fan of because he was the band leader on Comedy Bang Bang for like twenty episodes. Oh, and okay. I think he did he did like surprisingly like incredibly well on it. Nice. So yeah, I'm really excited to see that. Cool. So yeah, so that's kind of all the King news that I have. Um there's a bunch of other news. I keep saying this, but tiny let's let's commit to it. Um In sickness and health. Um uh, no <laughs> Jesus. Um Let's commit to it. Uh, when you get back from Louisville, um, let's do a Stephen King News Roundup episode. Okay. Nice. Nice. I'm game. Sweet. Um, so, yeah. So, that's all the news we have. Check the show notes for the link to the article about all that. Um, Tiny, do you have any Stephen King check-ins? Um, yeah. It's not that exciting, though. I've, okay. I just finished listening to Dr. Sleep for the second time. Nice. I didn't... Uh, I didn't I didn't pay as close attention to it as I would have liked mm-hmm. or as I did the first time around. But sure. Uh, but yeah, I listened to it. I listened through it again. Uh, held up just as well. Nice. Loved it. Yeah. I can't wait for the movie. So yeah, me neither. Yeah. Um, and on that note, I actually have a check in for that. I should, 
I don't know why I haven't gotten the email about it, but um, I'm going to see, I'm going to attend a screening for Dr. Sleep that's going to be the night before it comes out. Um, not to brag or anything. Sweet. Um, yeah. Well, it's funny. I had every intention of just going like opening night and everything. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday the 6th. Like, check this out. So, Wednesday the 6th, I'm going to see uh, Dr. Sleep, an, an advanced screening of it. The night before that, Kirsten and I are going to go see an advanced screening of Knives Out. Um, no, that's sweet. So I'm very excited about that. Cool. Um, and then that Friday I'm recording with You're Gonna Love This or Not podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's going to be a full week. Yeah, you and, got a, uh, oh, and got a full I'm docket. Yeah, and Monday I'm recording with Ben. Um, oh, a Lighthouse review on, for Obsessive Viewer. But the reason I'm going, because I, I actually had a ticket to see um, Dr. Sleep on Thursday when it came out, Thursday night. I'm going to the advanced screening because I was asked, or I was, how am I going to, I was approached to do a guest spot uh, review uh, on Hypable.com. So I'm going oh, to write a review for Hypable, and that should be posting on Hypable.com the weekend of Dr. Sleep's release. So nice. Hopefully it's not uh, horrible, <laughs> the yeah. review. Um, I have every, like, have you heard any of the buzz around Dr. Sleep? I haven't. People are saying it's good. Nice. People are saying that it's like kind of the, kind of the big, um, <clears throat> the big, uh, um, buzz thing that's going is that people are saying it's the best Stephen King adaptation since the Shawshank Redemption. Wow. Um, so yeah. That's pretty big. But, uh, Yeah. But my friend Karen from com, she actually asked me if I wanted to write the review. And I said, <laughs> I wanted to share this on the podcast to show people how insane I am. <laughs> um, I said, here's a peek at what I assume the review will look like. Because I think in any professional endeavor, it's, it's good to have a sample of what, like, what you're going to provide. <laughs> <clears throat> so I put, doc- uh, <clears throat> quote, Dr. Sleep features a cat named Azzy. However, it is this reviewer's opinion that Azzy is not as cute as one pizza roll hurt. In this review, I will outline exactly why pizza roll, pizza to her friends, is the superior kitty to the one featured in Dr. Sleep. Number one, pizza loves her daddy. It's true. Even though she's a cat, she still finds time to show affection toward her, toward me, her adopted father, daddy to her. <laughs> Number two, litter box presentation. Um, and that's all I wrote. <laughs> oh my God, you're a dork. So, so look forward to uh, me never being asked to write for hypable.com again. Um, Jesus. But, yeah, but I'm looking forward to that movie. I'm very excited about it. Nice. Um, other check-ins, I pre-ordered If It Bleeds on Audible um, because it is available to pre-order. So I did that. Cool. And then I tweeted, it's never too early to pre-order a Stephen King book. <laughs> Um, which is exactly how I want everyone to read that tweet. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm excited for that. And yeah. Oh, the outsider has a release date and trailer. Have you seen that? I did. I watched the trailer. It looks nice. pretty cool. It looks, it looks a little bit cooler than the book actually was. Yeah. I'm very <laughs> curious how it's going to fare because I, I and I need to reread the book. Um, also, that puts such a wrench in <laughs> our uh, plans because uh, ideally, I would love to do a full Mercedes trilogy or, or Bill Hodges trilogy review yeah. series, and then The Outsider, and then the book, and then the show. But I mean, I don't think that's possible <laughs> with our timeline, right? But anyway, um, 
yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm curious how they're going to handle it because it gets to some kind of weird places. So I'm interested. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, looks cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, all right. I think that's all we have for check-ins. Uh, shall we go into our review of the Institute? Yeah, sir. Sweet. So I'm going to read a plot summary courtesy of StephenKing.com. Uh, the Institute was published September 10th, 2019, by the way. And here is the plot summary. In the middle of the night in a house on a quiet street in suburban Minneapolis, intruders silently murder Luke Ellis's parents and load him into a black SUV. The operation takes less than two minutes. Luke will wake up at the Institute, a room that looks just like his own, except there's no window. And outside his door are other doors, beyond which are other kids with special talents, telekinesis and telepathy, who got to this place the same way Luke did. And that's all I'm going to read for that. Um, so yeah, so this is the latest book from Stephen King, and it has already been optioned for a TV, um, I think, event series or limited series um, by the people who I want to say adapted Mr. Mercedes in the Bill Hodges. Oh, okay. Movie, I think yeah, for nice. Audience Network. Um, so yeah, which includes um, I can't remember one of the guys, but the other guy is Jack Bender, I think, who did a mm. lot of directing for. Lost, Lost and, yeah. Uh, Game of Thrones. He did like half a Lost or something like that. He did like an obscene amount. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. Uh, yep. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. So, uh, Tiny, non-spoiler thoughts. How did you feel about the Institute? Uh, I really dug it. Um, nice. As per usual, uh, the characters were super relatable mm-hmm. and just enjoyable characters all around. Um, I think... As far as the characters go, one of the fun parts of it was that I think the sort of villains of the book, or uh, antagonists at the very least, um, had a lot of, had a lot of character and were and were were well developed, um, and and to the point where I sort of sympathized with them at certain mm-hmm. moments of the story, and uh, that's not typically something that you get with a Stephen King book or mm-hmm. at least you know when you think about The Shining you don't sympathize with the hotel right <laughs> you know what I'm saying like yeah. um, you don't t- typically you don't spend any time doing that um, but I thought it was a fun aspect of the, the character development in, mm-hmm. in that regard um, and the plot just had me had me hooked from the get go mm-hmm. uh, what was going to happen um, there's a lot of there's some fun like adventure stuff um, I think, uh, from the, 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 the fact that the story is from the perspective of like a 12 year old, a mm-hmm. uh, 12 year old kid is pretty, pretty, uh, fun or gives it a unique perspective. Um, because it's not like it didn't, it didn't make me think of like Danny Torrance in the shining right. where a lot of the book is from his perspective, mm-hmm. um, as a five year old, because it's, I feel like being 12, is old enough and it's not a spoiler that the kid the main character luke ellis is like uh like a genius pretty much um and so i think that 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 made the perspective even more unique it's not like oh it's from the perspective of a 12 year old it's like okay well that's not that crazy but he's a 12 year old genius yeah that makes it that gives the extra edge um made it uh made it kind of stand out as Mm -hmm. uh, as a as a perspective um and all that stuff and and it was you know it wasn't like some token scary story or or anything like that this was a pretty a pretty standalone story with a a cool plot and uh good characters like always Mm um i I'm not sure what else to say about it as far as non-spoilers. I'm sure there's stuff we'll get into, but yeah, um, yeah just general thoughts. I really, really dug it, and like I nice. couldn't, 
like I didn't, I wanted to get back to it. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? I didn't want to like, like, oh, that's right. I was listening to, listening to that book while I'm in the car and I'll put it right. back on. It was like, no, I'm going to turn on my Bluetooth now because I can't mm-hmm. wait to turn it on. It was one of those deals. So I was really into it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> real quick, brief aside, how cool is it to have Bluetooth like connect to the car? It's and, nice. Yeah. Because I've been using my mom's car for the last few weeks and like, oh my, it's perfect. Nice. It's, yeah. It's, it's awesome. It's so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, <clears throat> Yeah, I really, I think I, I think you liked the book a little bit more than I did. Okay. Not to say that I disliked the book. I do think that there are some, I wouldn't even call them issues, but just like things that didn't mesh well with me. Um, little bits here and there uh, that we'll get to in spoilers, but I thought it was a very strong thriller and, uh, suspenseful suspenseful enough book i think the suspense angle is what kind of strung me up a little bit okay but the thing that kills me is uh the media like it, like reviewing the book and everything i haven't read any reviews of it or anything but i did see a headline from like from like a reputable like pop culture website when the book was released that said like the pull quote of it was like the institute is stephen king's scariest book yet and i'm like <laughs> Is it though, buddy? Like, it's not really that no. kind of book per se. Right. It's more suspense and, like you said, adventure kind of angle to mm-hmm. it. And like, it's it's not inherent inherently scary. And I think that's what people and we've talked about on the podcast several times before. But that's what people get muddled with Stephen King is his brand versus what he actually produces. Right. Um, perception versus perception, reality. Yes. Yeah. It's like, it's like if we could redo that one scene from 500 days of summer <laughs> with just Stephen King, um, <laughs> split screen expectations, reality. Yeah. Um, God, that's a great scene. But anyway, um, uh, yeah. So like that, I don't know that kind of, I, I felt like that was worth, noting a little bit but he will forever be stigmatized he, he will as yeah. a horror author yeah yep. but this book i i did enjoy the momentum of it i felt like there was the propulsion of the plot was really well done and it kept me it i mean it kept me invested throughout it um there's an interesting narrative kind of technique or, or kind of thing that he does in this book that it's there's a, I wouldn't say prologue and epilogue, but like there is, um, a narrative that is, uh, sa- that is sandwich that sandwiches the the institute narrative. Um, so there's it's not a spoiler because it's the beginning of the book. Like we're introduced to a character who does not reappear until much later in the book. Right. And we'll talk more in spoilers to that, but like just those first like hundred or so pages just felt like just so just. Stephen King. Yeah. And it just felt like it was exactly the type of story that I want. And then it's abandoned because we're introduced to Luke and the Institute and everything. I just felt like there was, I think the first, because I re-listened to it and finished it today. I think the first time I listened to it and, and absorbed it and everything, um, like, I feel like it's, I was a little jarred by that, but like, I just wanted to go back to Dupre <laughs> yeah. and I wanted to spend time with Tim and Wendy and, and, uh, uh, is it Sheriff John? Right. Um, and all them, but, but yeah, like the actual, uh, machinations of the Institute and like the things that they were doing there and the things the kids were subjected to and the kids were doing and being forced to do, uh, was very interesting. And yeah. There was like, 
I mean, King is up there in age. He's in his 70s now, but like, there's still, he retains a little bit of an edge to him. Um, and it's on display there. It's nothing too gruesome or anything, but there's like ideas present that are just disturbing, especially when it's being subjected to kids. Right. Um, like things like, just like little things, like there, there are a couple of, um, comparisons to Nazi Germany and, yeah. and uh, in particular, the like experiments that the Nazis were doing, yeah, and everything. It's like it's an apt comparison and everything, definitely. And uh, yeah, it's just it's uh, it's pretty disturbing. Yeah, that 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 stuff got me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Um. So yeah. So overall, and we'll go into spoilers. Um. How do you think this stands? Um. In in King's bibliography. Um, is it a shining example? Of I was gonna say. I'm not sure if it's at the top of the tower, ha. Uh, but um, but, but no. It carry on in your heart, <laughs> God. <laughs> I'd say I'd say it's kind of middle of the road, frankly. Okay. Um, I I feel like most of Stephen King's books and stories, objectively, are not like bad. There's mm-hmm. like maybe a handful out of you know, fifty five novels and. Yeah. Let's call it fifty short stories that are that he's released. Which I'm sure it's more than that. But let's say out of a hundred stories, there's probably less than ten that are like just not good. Uh, yeah. If that, I would sell my soul if that's not. Oh God. A, yeah. I just wanted to say sell because I didn't like that book. <laughs> even parts of sell, I was I was into quite a bit. Oh yeah. Like some of the teen, like the group stuff, mm. and I need to revisit it. Yeah. I really do. So, um, but it, I, I would say that's kind of a bad. That's pretty much a bad one. Yeah. So, but uh, but yeah, like I I think he's pretty good, and uh, and this was there. I don't think there was anything especially remarkable about the Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely wasn't bad. Not even, I don't think it, I don't think it was even close to bad. I, I thought it was relatively good, but, um, objectively I'd say it's a pretty much middle, middle of the road kind of book for, for King. Um, I agree. Yeah. I, th- I think I agree. Would you revisit it? Um, probably not. I think I, yeah, there wasn't a lot of complexity to it either. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah. Whereas like under the dome, which mm-hmm. is, has like a, you know, a, a ensemble cast. There's, mm-hmm. there's a bit of an ensemble for this movie too, or this book. Yeah. Um, but it's the complexity just isn't there. Yeah. It's more contained. Right. And, um, I, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not knocking it for that. It's just, it's just a characteristic that's different. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I'd love to read, reread under the dome at some point. I've, I've never done it um i did earlier this year it's so yeah. good i need to just listen to it get the audiobook yeah. um but uh the, but this i i feel i feel like i pretty much absorbed all the nuance for yeah. the most part and it's all there and and i don't feel like there's much that i would gain from revisiting it um yeah um very good yeah i agree uh there i want to touch on something that you said in that run of words that Jesus okay um it's interesting like there is he does have like those big tomes in his bibliography that are nuanced and have so much just complexity and, and character character to it mm-hmm. um under the dome the stand 11 22 63 um it obviously the big one right um like and this might be more of just a laid back, more conversation starter for another part of the podcast or anything. But do you, I, do you think slash do you would you hope that he has another one of those in him? 
Um, cause, like, oh, yeah, I always hope he has another yeah. one of those in him, yeah. Do you think that, just judging from, like, Sleeping Beauties and The Institute and um, The Outsider, do you think that his prowess as a as a novelist, do you think that he would be... Do you think... Would you expect it to be something that he could come out with in the next um, couple of years? I don't know that I expect it, frankly. Okay. Because I think... I think um, I think he's sort of past his prime. I don't know if that's mm. fair to say. Because um, Dr. Sleep came out in 2012, 13? 2013. 2013. Yeah, funny story I'm going to bring up when we re- review it. But um, okay. uh, on my Facebook memories, uh, there was... <laughs> <laughs> I had shared in like in like July or it would have been like September of 2013 like just like a, a link that had like all the international covers for Doctor Sleep and everything. It was like mm-hmm. right before the book came out, and like my Facebook post was, uh, "Oh my god, these look amazing! I can't wait to read this." And it was 2013. It took me six years to read that fucking book. <laughs> yeah, nice. So, uh, but anyway, but that that's like Doctor Sleep's. I mean, I hate to say it now, but spoiler alert, that's going to be like a top 10 oh, nice. favorite of mine of his. Oh, that was, that's awesome. That was only six years ago. Mm. You know, he was around 70. So yeah. I'm not saying he doesn't have great books in him still. Right. But I, I just, and like Under the Dome came out in 2006, mm. seven. Was it? Or I want to say it was like 2009 or 2008. Was it that old? I thought it was like, I want to say it was 07 because I think our, I remember... Uh, talking to our friend Jack about it, and he mm. read it while he was deployed. Oh. And I think he was deployed in 07, 08. Um, he read it like three times, because it's like one oh, of the only yeah. books he had, and he loved it. And, <laughs> uh, I remember him and he and I talking about it hmm. when he got uh, back. November, or uh, originally published October 2009. Well, shit, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Or maybe he deployed a different time. Anyways. Ah, yeah. uh, but anyways, like I, you know, that was only 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's completely possible, but um, mm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to expect that. Um, I feel like he's been doing the collaboration thing a lot, yeah, lately. Um, Bone King and right, and you know, with Sleeping Beauties, I don't think that worked out. Yeah, um, I don't know if that book could have been if he had just done it himself. If it would have mm. been better, I, I you know, that's pure speculation. Well, I read a lot of Audible reviews of <clears throat> Owen King's like solo novel double feature. Mm-hmm. Not good. Yeah, very, very few positive reviews. Okay. So okay. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, I continue to hope that he cranks out great stuff, and mm. if he throws out another Under the Dome, I'll be excited as hell. Yeah. Um, excited as hell for it. But um, yeah, and he kind of did this the the sort of almost series thing for a while with the whole um Bill Hodges, Bill Hodges thing, yeah. which I like those books a lot. Mm. I'm a big fan of them, and I'm totally fine if he keeps writing stories like that in right. the Institute. I no problem with that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it'd be kind of nice if there was one more, one more like tentpole, yeah, big ensemble King book still out there somewhere. Totally, that'd be just to kind of just as a in a, a bookend, mm-hmm. uh, to use a fun analogy, right. just as a bookend on his career would be cool. What so uh, just to clarify, what do you mean? He's gonna live forever, and <laughs> write forever, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, okay. he's gonna two pocket. Okay, <laughs> twenty years good. after he died, they'll do a. Yeah. he'll be doing readings in holograph form. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's the dream. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I remember. I I don't. This is not something that's been substantiated or anything. I just heard like 
thought that I saw somewhere, and I never followed up on it, but, like, there are, like, rumors somewhere on some corners of the internet that he has, like, a book written that he expressly once published posthumously. Oh, wow. Um, But I really don't know. Like, that could just be some person on an internet forum just spitballing something and yeah like years ago but who, who knows cool. that would be cool yeah um so yeah so did i give my overall thoughts <laughs> um, uh no i don't think you did no um yeah so i think this is a very solid uh entry in the Stephen king canon um he continues to show that he has this very unique grasp at uh, writing stories where children are at the forefront. And, mm-hmm. like, one of the strongest points, I thought, of the book was the way that the kids interact with each other. And it just felt just very organic and, and like, just they're they're together in this weird scenario, this weird place. But he does such a good job of just writing the kind of child society that rises out of the yeah. out of the circumstances that they're in. Um, I found that particularly engaging. There's some moments that is, again, I'll talk about in spoilers. That I felt like kind of, kind of like it was kind of dull for, for a little bit. Like there was, there were moments that should have been more dramatic, but it kind of felt like, I don't know. It kind of felt like he was just kind of writing to get to the, to get to the next big point. Um, mm. And a lot of toiling, as as you like to say on the podcast. Okay. So I, I felt that a little bit, but overall, I thought this was a very solid book and a, um, a good story. Like I really enjoyed the the story of it, and there's some interesting stuff I want to talk about about the villains as well. And it's funny that we read this so soon after reading Doctor Sleep because I found some interesting correlations between. Um, the villains in, in each book. Okay. Um, in, in particular, the way that they are somewhat sympathetic or I wouldn't say it's not as clear cut, a black and white thing of, of like, Oh, evil people taking children or evil people doing this. It's like their reasoning for it. Like you can follow their logic of it. And yeah. I found that really compelling. Hmm. Yep. Um, so shall we go into spoilers for the Institute? Yeah. Okay, awesome. So I'm going to play a little bit of music here. We are going to go into spoilers for the Institute. If you have not read it or don't care or, and don't want to be spoiled, go ahead and listen to me yawn in your ear and then uh, turn off the podcast and come back when you've read it. Um, yeah, so we're going to go into spoilers for the Institute. Thank you and spoilers on... Okay, so let's talk about the structure of this book. Um, We didn't talk anything about Tim um, in Dupre and that whole storyline. So Mm -hmm. how did you feel about the first, I don't even want to say first third of the book, but the first portion of the book where it's all Tim Jameson finding his way to Dupre, the whole great events turn on small hinges portion of it? Yeah, um, I was into it. You know, I felt we had our everyman like mm. like Stephen King is wont to do, uh, and, and I was definitely into it. And then, what's what's notable about it is the like you said the structure and how it's mm. how it's it's place in the story. Um, I think it was it was a goofy decision uh, that I didn't really love to where the first you know 
80 pages or whatever mm-hmm. we're with tim and then we jump to luke and we don't visit him till we don't come back to dupre and tim till there's 100 pages left in the book yeah um and that i i don't i didn't love it but at the same time i think if if we have no introduction of tim matheson at the beginning of the book and we start with luke in minneapolis mm-hmm. and he goes through all his trauma and he escapes and he gets to a town called Dupre in South Carolina, yes, North Carolina, so. one, uh, of the Carolinas. one of the Carolinas. Yeah. Um, and he meets this guy named Tim. I think it loses some of its, uh, that, that meetup. It becomes deus ex machina. Right. Um, because it's right. just a random person. Yeah. Yeah. So given the way that the story unfolds, it does require that kind of sandwiching structure. Yeah. Um, I think my big thing about it was that I was just so enamored with this whole idea of just this wandering guy with a, with not even a, not even a troubled past, just like some skeleton skeletons, uh, in his closet that he's trying to get away from. And there is kind of a small sense. It's not very prominent, but a small sense of just like, being drawn towards something. And like, I I just really liked that. And I told you when you had started uh, reading it, um, that in the adaptation of it, like I would love so much to see Tim Jameson portrayed by, um, why can't I think of his name? The Punisher, the mist Thomas Jane. Okay. Um, and have Sheriff John be played by Andre Brower. Uh, so it would mm. be like a, like a uh, reunion of the mist. Yeah, totally. Um, and like, I told you that, like after I knew like, Oh, they're not in the story, like hardly at all. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, but, um, man, I just, I really, I, I really like, I would be so into that if that was the casting. Oh yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, but just the, I don't know. Just the, just the. Uh, it's what Stephen King does best. He creates this world that has just everyday normal people, um, and also the the narrator uh, Santino Fontana. I think mm-hmm. um, the the way he the way he speaks for Sheriff John. Like mm-hmm. there's there's uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. Uh, uh, <laughs> like every time I'm just like I like I loved it. I don't know why. Yeah. But oh, I love that too. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, and then he does it toward the end of the book i'm like that's i missed that <laughs> yeah i agree he did a good job uh the narrator santino fontana yeah he really um, did yeah i enjoyed it uh, i believe that he is a uh renowned actor of the stage oh okay i think gotcha um, yeah but yeah he did he did a really good job nice yeah um yeah so i just i really loved the Dupre stuff and also okay Pop quiz, hotshot. Um, I don't know why. I oh, okay. Sorry. Um, Night Knocker. Had you ever heard that before? Not even a little bit. Okay. Me neither. And it's a funny thing because I Googled like Night Knocker to find out what it was. Pretty much the only repl- responses on Google were people asking like what a Night Knocker was. Really? The Institute. Huh. Um, but I really liked it. And I like the kind of humbleness of Tim Jameson as this guy who was a cop who had an altercation, which, which I have to, uh, like, I kind of had to separate myself, like, like kind of just go with the flow. Cause I was like, dude fired his gun, like a fired a warning shot in a mall. Like yeah. that did not 
Like, I, it just didn't seem right for the way that it was being told. But, um... Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, but aside from that, like I was really into his his story and everything. I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we go to Minneapolis. Which, yes. Um, that's another thing. Like it just like he does double duty to set up characters and everything. Right. Um. So I don't know. Um. I do want to mention before we get into Luke's storyline and everything, I do want to mention I may have said this on the podcast before, but it, since this is the review of the Institute. There was a Facebook, uh, like I'm in a few Stephen King Facebook groups, and there was one that happened like the day, a few days after the book was released. Someone had commented or posted on the Facebook group for uh, Stephen King, uh, one of the Stephen King fan groups, and said, uh, seven pages into the Institute and already an untruth jab at President Trump. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, and like it was the reference to the librarian that Tim gives that gives Tim a ride saying that um mentioning that Trump and his cronies have taken um taken uh funding away from libraries and she says like Trump and his cronies wouldn't know culture if it bit them in the ass or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um and like people in the comments like I think it was eventually erased um uh by the mods but like people in the comments were like well, he's not wrong. Um, yeah. The Trump administration did cut funding here and all that. And then, like, the guy never responded to it, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it was so great because someone had posted a comment. And I was like, this person is a freaking hero. <laughs> um, let me find it real quick because I took a screenshot of it. So this person on the Facebook group for uh, for <laughs> this Stephen King Facebook group put... Uh, <laughs> a long list of things with green check marks next to them. I'll run them run them down really quickly. Gay kid thrown off a bridge, check. Black kid stomped into the mud and his dog murdered, check. Black woman raped and her and her child murdered, check. Small boy has his arm ripped off, check. Innocent man killed on death row, check. Women killed with shotguns when pregnant and then their recovery house for abused women burned down, check. Kids run over by tanker trucks and possessed by evil spirits and flesh-eating vampires. Check. A sex scene in which 11-year-olds run a train on a little girl to save them all from a space monster, space spider monster. Check. That's (laughs) entertainment. But do not, I repeat, do not ever criticize Trump. Uh, Red X, Red X, Red X. Um, I thought that was perfect. And then, if that wasn't enough, this person, uh, uh, commented with a screenshot of an Amazon order uh, that said 20 copies of the Institute bound for local reading groups and lending circles just for you snowflakes. (laughs) So this person had ordered $381 worth of copies of the Institute to send specifically to like reading, reading groups and lending circles. Awesome. That is so fucking great. Nice. Um, yeah. So, Oh, so, just so satisfying. So anyway, yeah. Night knockers. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, I had never heard that term before. Yeah, me neither. Um, apparently, in my searches, um, a similar job title was a knocker upper. Um, in okay. yeah, in I believe England. I feel like maybe we talked about this on the podcast. I apologize mm. for repeating ourselves, but institute. Um, the and knocker uppers were like someone in like 
Britain who would go like door to door and knock to wake people up for jobs and stuff. Oh wow! But and I think that that's where somehow that morphed into like the colloquialism of saying like "Yo, you got knocked up." Oh. Um, so yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. So anyway, um, <laughs> Luke Ellis. <laughs> Um, yes. Part two, the smart kid. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you feel about the setup of just the introduction of Luke, this child genius who gets uh, basically tentatively uh, approved or uh, accepted into two, like MIT and I can't remember the other one, mm-hmm. another like super prestigious school at the age of like 13. Right. Um, a really interesting character. You know, I, I mm-hmm. think we've had a lot of kids uh as main characters, uh, or at least primary characters in Stephen King books. And, uh, I think Luke stands out because he's, cause he's a genius. Mm-hmm. Um, that made him especially well equipped to deal with the, the trauma that ensues. Mm-hmm. Um, as is evidenced by his eventual overcoming of that trauma. Right. Uh, but yeah, he was, I think he's a really good character. Uh, I, I liked the, I liked the setup because it's such a, it's such a jolt when after he's kidnapped and like mm-hmm. his quick realization of what's going on, um, how quickly he figures everything out at mm-hmm. the institute. Um, but he's Im- importantly in the setup, he's he's such an extraordinary kid, but at the same time, a lot of what he does and says is very ordinary, and yeah, it's it, it establishes him as. He's just a kid, but he's he has extraordinary abilities. Yeah, I, that's one thing that I really appreciated about the characterization of of Luke and um well yeah uh, about Luke is because is because um <laughs> because he is so uh like you said kind of normal. He's not like like the comparison I want to make is that he's not like a young Sheldon thing. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. He's not like super off-putting or anything mm-hmm. he's just a normal kid who happens to have a genius iq right um and i really liked the way that he kind of worked worked the system and and escaped it and everything mm-hmm. um one thing that i really was not uh not really uh i don't know i i found this to be the most like kind of one of the most disturbing parts of it is that uh, when they murder his parents, <laughs> yeah, um, did not see that coming. I did not read the plot summary prior to reading the book, and like, mm-hmm. just just the quickness of it, and the just com- like they're done, they're gone. It's just it's it was it was very uh, surprising and jolting, really abrupt. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. So, how did you feel about the actual institute itself? Like, the kids are all kind of brought together. There's front half, back half. Um, and kind of the big overarching story of, of what they're doing there and everything. How'd you feel about the Institute itself? Uh, it, it, it established, it got established pretty quickly, uh, mm-hmm. given all the variables of it. Um, I feel like I had a pretty good vis- visualization of it and, um, everything was described really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the, the fun part about the Institute is the sort of the culture of it being being uncovered um especially like how the kids can just like get cigarettes and yeah and booze and stuff like that and um the sort of inner working politics of it mm. like oh this 
particular guard is particularly nasty and like Mm -hmm. this person will shock you or this person will let you slide on certain things or you can always get a token out of this person for whatever. Um, that, that, those little nuances and minutia were just like really crucial in building a very detailed and satisfying environment at the Institute. And, uh, you know, it was, it was done to great, to great effects like Stephen King always does. I I definitely agree, and I do want to mention that I found maybe the most disturbing thing in the entire book was the whole concept of tokens and them being able to get access to cigarettes and booze, mm-hmm. um, because and it's it's mentioned kind of later in the book that it's it's to control them, it's to give them something that they will become addicted to or they they will need, right? And that will force them to work to get tokens, and that will make them fall in line and everything. It's just such a such a disturbing way of controlling them right um in such a such a uh capitalistic way maybe or yeah i don't know what word i'm looking for um i'm not sure if it's what king was going for but a bit of an allegory for real life yeah oh yeah (laughs) we all smoke and drink Mm -hmm. and smoke weed or whatever as a way to escape from whatever you know i you know i was to make us complacent (laughs) yeah i was thinking about that um because like I don't, I drink occasionally, but I don't smoke or do do the drugs or anything. Mm-hmm. But like I was thinking about that, like I mean, sugar, um, <laughs> yeah, caffeine, right? Like, I like it's it's a weird thing when like I actually can feel like my body being like like I don't want to go so far as to say jonesing for it, but like I'm like I I could really I'm 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 really feeling like a, a coke right now. Yeah. Um. This will this will set me right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, it's a very real thing. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. Chemical dependence. Yeah. Hey, do you want a Coke by the way? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. Um, I'm good. Yeah. So anyway, I was like, I was thinking about that, uh, a lot. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah. So the whole setup of the Institute, let's kind of jump a little bit and talk about the actual, uh, should we talk about the actual motivation of it, or should we talk more about the escape and everything first? And Maureen, we should talk about. Yeah, I, I don't care. Uh, probably the escape. Okay. Uh, let's talk about Ma- Maureen first, actually. <laughs> okay. Um, so, I gave you the illusion of choice. Here's a yeah. token. Um, <laughs> but, but no, uh, so uh, Maureen and Avery also, the kind of uh, very gifted telepath that they bring in mm-hmm. um let's skip ahead to marine's death um that i also like if if the whole concept of the institute is the most disturbing part of it them finding her hanging in the like janitor closet with the message hell is waiting uh hell uh, how was it it was hell is waiting and i'll see you there or i'll meet you there mm-hmm. um uh, very, very, like, visually, like, disturbing. Definitely. Um, also reminded me a bit of It, uh, the beginning of It. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, just really, really good and disturbing. Right. Um, in a book that doesn't have much, like, in, t- in way of gore or, um, like, disturbing imagery, mm-hmm. um, that really stood out to me and, and felt good. Um, <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So, did you have any thoughts on Marine or Avery or the escape? Um, I was, for a, a long time, I was 
curious about like Maureen's motivations. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I knew that she was, it was revealed fairly quickly that she was kind of undercover mm-hmm. and, and you know, trying to get the kids to admit things and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was just wondering if throughout uh, up until a certain point, I was wondering if she was like, had ulterior motivations, mm. ulterior mm. motives, and she was goading uh, Luke into something and trying to get him caught up in something, mm. and it was a trap that was going to spring eventually. Like that's that's sort of what I was thinking. Very interesting that she was doing, and then I, after after a certain point, I think it was after he kind of brought Avery into it, and he he had that conversation with Avery or whatever mm-hmm. between those the three, all three of them. Um, that point, I was like, okay, I think she's actually just genuinely trying to help him at this point. Yeah. Um, and I never, I never predicted that she was going to kill herself or anything. Um, yeah, that came as a shock. Yeah. Um, I will say that the idea of her, the possibility of her kind of turning and and selling out Luke and his plan and everything, and I felt like she was trap. just kind of setting a trap, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. That. I feel is more interesting than the actual escape itself. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I mean, throughout the pages where it's depicting Luke's escape from the Institute, it just felt, um, how to, how to say it? It, it, it felt a little bit like he was King was just kind of writing to get to a point. Um, it felt really? very process heavy. Like, huh. okay, Luke found a boat, and now he found the train, and now he's eating the crumbs of that, crumbs of the donuts, and then huh. now he's. It's like trying to get him to Dupre, and hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know. Did, how did you feel about the actual escape? That was one of my favorite parts. Really, I really dug the escape. I don't okay. know. I, I liked the detail of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know prison breaks by it, just by their nature are very interesting stories. Sure, um, and so that it had that that feel to it, um, mm-hmm. and I feel like um, you know a bulk of the story, as far as the, you know the reader, your the setting is the institute, and you're mm-hmm. you kind of it's almost like I was starting to feel the walls, you know, okay, as a sure. as a as a reader, and then to just be out in the open and out in the world and he's going through these woods and now he's on, he's on the river in a boat. It, sh- it was just very exciting and like mm-hmm. thrilling. And, and it, nice for whatever reason it worked for me, especially the, <laughs> uh, when he's like on the train and stuff like that and try to hide out on the train and mm-hmm. his mind is going a thousand miles an hour and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't know that that worked for me. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty fun. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I just spilled water all over my you did. leg. But anyway, um, you did. We're professionals here, <laughs> so. Um, but yeah, it. Uh, I don't know. I felt like there wasn't much um, suspense for me there. Like there was some. Like when he was describing, like I don't know, the fear of of being caught and everything. Like there was some of that that was. It was kind of getting my blood flowing a little bit there, but. Other than that, it just felt like, okay, well, he's just, it's a long walk to get to Dupre. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll reconnect with it more when I read it again. Mm-hmm. But I will say that in re-listening to it in preparation for this episode, it just, it. I mean, it was just kind of a, 
um, stepping stones to get to the climax for me. Okay, that's fair. I will say that when he is interacting with other people, whether it's the guy at the train yard or it's Tim um, and the rest of the people at Dupre, um, that I found very interesting, specifically because I put myself in the adult's shoes. Like, Mm -hmm. I can't fathom how I would react if, like, this kid tells me this crazy freaking story right and like and i google his name and you know he's on the lam for murdering his parents according to the media like i don't know just i i don't know how i would like usually when stephen king has these fantastical stories that are like just out of this world crazy um like i i bring myself into the character's perspective of it and everything. And like, this was an interesting scenario because I took myself into the everyday characters, uh, headspace for it. And I thought like, yeah. I don't know what it would take for me to believe what Luke is telling these people. Mm-hmm. If I were in those people's shoes. Um, so I did like that. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Institute and everything. Cause an- another thing I found really disturbing was what they were doing at the Institute. So they were amplifying the telepathy um, of the kids and using them, they would put them into back half and using them to um, mental, they use the phrase, uh, Luke uses the phrase uh, that they are psychic drones. Um, Mm. Such a cool concept. Like having these kids who have these like, capabilities these te- to this telepathy and this this telekinetic energy um using that to not to an extent brainwash them through like propaganda footage not even propaganda footage just ordinary footage of these politicians and stuff so that they can use that power to execute them uh execute the politicians and everything and thereby control like the world stage mm-hmm. um just so rich i thought like i thought that was very interesting and compelling um how did you feel about that kind of manchurian candidate psychic drones kind of thing yeah um i i was curious as to where it was all going mm-hmm. and, and what what they were really doing um i found myself at a certain point um because we had it had been revealed that the kids had telekinetic and uh tele- telepathic capabilities i was thinking i was like what if these people are the beginnings of north central positronics and oh yeah they're gathering children to break a beam mm-hmm. you know i was like holy shit what if he ties this into the dark tower god that would have been um, so cool that's what i was thinking and it wasn't that obviously mm-hmm. but uh but yeah still really cool and that's very very high concept mm mm-hmm. And uh, and not like obviously it's science fiction, right? But it it feels is it? right. It feels like if if telekinesis and telepathy did exist, there'd be some assholes who would use it for this yeah. purpose. You know, it would oh, be yeah. it would automatically be you know government funded organization mm. would try to clandestinely collect these children and use them for nefarious purposes. Yeah, you know that's and that's that's what this story is uh but with a nice Stephen King twist to it so absolutely uh or with his spin on it i guess mm-hmm. um yeah i thought it was really really compelling mm-hmm. yeah the uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, the 
just the way that he describes them, like the back half, like movies, like I wrote in my notes, the films shown to the kids in back half are really disturbing to me, specifically because they start by showing cartoons to kind of lull the kids into it. Mm-hmm. And then they just show their targets in everyday life. And then they finish it with, uh, like the way it's described as Dr. Hendricks holding an unlit sparkler. And like that, like what my brain conjured up when I read that part is just this older doctor just standing motionless with an unlit sparkler kind of like it kind of got the sense in my head of like an art house film that yeah. makes no goddamn sense <laughs> like a french new wave kind of thing that this means like something entirely different mm-hmm. but in the context of this it just like that imagery just stuck with me and and it made me just really creeped out um <laughs> And knowing that they're using that to just kill these people is uh, really interesting. And the justification of it, because like, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but we're kind of closing in on the, on the end of the story a bit and the review a little bit, I think. But the concept of it or the, uh, or the justification for it, that they are doing this because they have like in other places, they have like precognitive like people that are telling the future and saying like, okay, this person is going to cause a chain reaction to do this and and to do this. That'll eventually lead to this. And if we don't kill this person now, this is going to happen later and the world's going to end. Yeah. So they have this like noble justification in their own eyes. And it's not a concept that Stephen King hasn't played with before. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, it's he's throughout his whole career. He's had this, obsession with this type of story and i think it's really great that he's finding unique ways to do it like i'm thinking mm-hmm. like the dead zone right and 11 yeah and now this it's just an interesting kind of it speaks to his talent that he can revisit this concept multiple times in vastly different uh scenarios right yeah and he kind of comes the, the the it usually comes to the conclusion that like you know don't mess with things like right. things happen for a reason or, yeah. you know, something like that. You might um, say all things serve the beam. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Something like that. <laughs> so let's talk about Dupre. Oh, should we talk a little bit more about the kids? Um, <laughs> um yeah. Yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, that kind of mixes in with Dupre anyway, because they have their little revolution and their mm-hmm. mutiny, which let's, let's talk about that. First of all, I did notice, and this this is just a nitpick that it. I don't understand why King did this, but there's a one of the kids' name is George Iris, and another character's name is Iris Stanhope, I think. Okay. And I'm like, I, like I got confused both times I listened to this book. I'm like, wait, George Iris or Iris Stanhope? These are two kids. Like these, like why not just <laughs> name one something else? Yeah. <laughs> um, that kind of bothered me a little bit. Okay. Um, but. Uh, yeah, they're mutiny and everything. Like, Avery is this powerful telepath. They eventually kind of band together to use their psychic abilities to revolt against it. And then, like, that in concept, I loved. Mm-hmm. But then they spend, like, 60 or 70 pages just sitting there <laughs> before they do a goddamn thing. Yeah. That, I felt like, did not... Like, the payoff was fine because... Like, the way it's described is they, like, levitate the buildings. Right. Destroy the Institute and, sacri- like, several of the kids die. Yeah. Um, very, like, intense climax there. But, like, the lead-up to it's just like, all right, just get the get the show on the road. Like, yeah. 
the staff is mixing up this like chemical thing and that's kind of compelling and kind of tense tension filled but it's like they're just sitting there doing nothing yeah um yeah I, that's I true know. i hadn't really thought about that mm. i think I, I i liked the climax and the whole the mutiny thing i thought yeah. that was super super sati- satisfying because mm-hmm. these people did such terrible things to these innocent kids yes and they you know a lot of them get their comeuppance mm-hmm. that's it's really satisfying but uh i never i guess i hadn't really thought about that they do just kind of sit there for a while yeah um but you know all the pieces were trying to fall in in line i think that's justification for it but yeah uh, and it could have been done to better effect maybe yeah and i think that that's kind of the reason why king <clears throat> I, that's, I think that this book is a lot of that for King, like a lot of setting up pieces yeah. and everything. Um, like even Tim and Dupre and everything and setting up Luke and, and setting everything in motion. It's just mm-hmm. a lot of things in motion. Um, but the actual climax in Dupre, um, and I, I kind of feel like this had a similar feel to like the actual violence and the action that happens in it the gunfight and everything like it kind of got it kind of reminded me a little bit of sleeping beauties to a small extent okay like in sleeping beauties there's like an all-out war fought at the prison and like i should really at some point revisit sleeping beauties Hmm. but i feel like both sleeping beauties and here it just felt like i i wasn't as strongly invested in what was going on because like the characters weren't that important to me at that point okay Um, like i think part of that is because you know we spent like 80 pages in dupre and then we were in the institute for like 400 right and then we had the back 800 or 80 or so in dupre and like it just i was like okay well all right, Faraday is the deputy Faraday, and then like at one point I was like, wait, so is Sheriff John alive? And then like the next like few lines, uh, the audiobook's like, oh, Sheriff John's dead. I'm like, oh, okay, um, <laughs> yeah, uh huh, uh huh, um, yeah, are you dead? Uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I just I feel like there was that. That's where the book faltered a little bit for me. Okay. Um, See, that worked pretty well for me again. Really? Interesting. The, the whole climax in Dupre. Yeah, it worked for me. I'm not okay. sure why. I really liked um, the Annie character. Orphan the Annie. Orphan yeah. Annie. She was just funny. Uh, she was great. Fun comic relief yeah. and her whole conspiracy thing mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um, she, yeah, she was entertaining. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I loved her. And I did find... The relationship between Tim and Wendy, um, very charming. Um, really? It's set up in the beginning a little bit, or it's hinted at that, like, he asks Sheriff John, he's like, and if I asked her out, would she say yes? And he's like, uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and then we meet back up with them, and they're dating. They, they have their own little thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then they actually go to the Institute, and that's where it all kind of converges. That's where the kids destroy everything, and... Uh, yeah, I thought yep. I, was, I was satisfied with it. Totally, me too. Yeah, um, but then we get kind of the epilogue with the lisp man. Um, yeah, yeah, the lisping man, and that's where we get a lot of the. Oh, first, let me t- let me because I'm going through my notes here real quick. Before that, I I thought that this was so just beautiful. Um, Avery is kind of the center point of the mutiny and like he stays behind he sacrifices himself several of the kids die and everything and he dies along with them but 
I love the line where it says that Avery's final thought was, I loved having friends. I was oh, like, yeah. that is so just, man, that's that's powerful. That's beautiful. Hits you in the feels. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, so then we get the lisping man. Uh, the kids, the surviving kids are kind of staying with Wendy and, 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 and Tim, and they're slowly kind of getting, you know, shoved off into different places. Right. Sent on buses and everything. And the Lisping Man just, it's basically a, uh, exposition dump, I guess, or kind of a, um, tying up loose ends dialogue. Right. He's explaining like, oh, this is why it's all happening and stuff and everything. Um, I like the ambiguity of it and I really appreciate the way that it's, you know, we follow the logic of the villains pretty clearly. And right. Like we, we, I believe that they believe that they were doing the greater good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. Yeah. And that kind of that kind of uh, moral ambiguity is is something that I think is really uh, uh, really strong at this at this stage in King's career. I think yeah, um, really really good stuff. Right, and that's where some of that uh, s- small little bit of empathy for the villains comes through. Yeah, uh, is is in that moment. I think Um, the uh, Mrs. Sigsby character. Yeah. I was picturing, I don't know why. I don't even think this makes sense. Given the description of the character, I was picturing Jennifer Goodwin, the actress. Oh, interesting. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. I don't know why. Huh? Cause I think the character is like this tiny little petite old, somewhat middle-aged maybe woman. Maybe. Yeah. Um, And Jennifer Goodwin is not that, but Mm -hmm. I'm not saying she's fat or anything. I'm right, not saying right. that, but she, yeah, I, she's not a tiny little, mm-hmm. tiny little petite woman, and she's not old. That's really wow. Like, yeah, because like I immediately think of her performance in the new Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. and like the way that she is because she's playing like a, um, a housewife in in that like a right. kind of waspy housewife and privileged mm-hmm. housewife, um. Like I, I totally like I, that is that feels like uh, Mrs. Sigsby. Really, um, and it's funny because I'm not even like particularly a fan of Jennifer Goodwin. Like, oh, really? I don't hate her or anything. Um, I'm most familiar with her on the show Big Love. Oh yeah, and I think she she was a little bit annoying on that show, mm-hmm. but the character was kind of annoying. So I I don't know. I it's weird. I just pictured her. She just popped into my head for some reason. Next time I uh, listen to it, I'll I'll definitely picture her then. Nice. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't say that uh, I know her best from the uh, pivotal, the uh, quintessential, the... Um, go ahead and say it, brilliant. He's just not that into you. Um, <laughs> so... Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, I think I saw that movie. Oh yeah, yeah. I I think I did yeah. too. I think I've seen it five times. Just, um, <laughs> wow. How, let me actually see how many times I've seen it. <laughs> um, but anyway, there are a couple of Stephen King references that I want to bring up here, um, because okay, he's just not that into it's. It's a good ensemble uh, thing. Is it? Is uh? Is Kevin Connolly trying to bang Scarlett Johansson in that movie? Uh, yes. And then, like, Bradley Cooper is married to Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. Okay, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, apparently, I've only logged it twice on Letterboxd. That can't be right. WTF. Yep, yep. And I rated it four stars out of five. <laughs> oh, my God. 
unashamed. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, a couple Stephen King references. <laughs> um, rom-com cast? Oh, we would probably get in trouble no. with Comcast. <laughs> yeah, damn it. Yeah, anyways. Rom-com podcast. Podcast rom-com. How about just romcast? Romcast? Go with that. <laughs> Funny side note, and uh, <laughs> I mentioned this to you, and this is just for the benefit of our listeners to not listen to us anymore. Um, at Heartland International Film Festival, check out obsessiveviewer.com. Um, <laughs> there's a documentary about romantic comedies called Romantic Comedy, <laughs> and we did not get access to a screener before the festival, and so I wrote this very long thing to you, Tiny, that was ridiculous and stupid. Um, can we not? We can, <laughs> and we will. Um, so let me find it here real quick. Um, oh, that was a different thing. <laughs> Uh, so I said, since we couldn't get access to a screener, I said, um, I said this to uh, a bunch of people because I'm an idiot. I'm going to find out when the next time the director is going to be at an airport, and then I'm going to run after her. And when I catch up, I'm going to give a speech in front of everyone in the airport, and I'm gonna, and I'll say, Elizabeth, I thought what I needed was a bunch of Heartland screeners, but what I've learned is that even though there's so many other screeners out there, I want yours. <laughs> And I don't care if I have to register an account on Film Freeway to get access to it. And I don't care if it's only going to screen twice at Heartland. All I know is that seeing your documentary made my heart land. Oh um, and then everyone would applaud, music will play, and one person in the crowd will yell, Oh, give him the screener already! <laughs> and everyone will laugh and cheer. I hate you. <laughs> 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 would make my heart, my heart land. land. Uh, postscript to that, I saw the documentary in Heartland, was not too crazy about it. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway. Um, uh, that's funny. Yeah. So, okay. We're kind of winding down this review. I do have a couple Stephen King connections that were made in this book. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I missed several, but um, two jumped out at me. Uh, the first one is the mo- more overt one. Um, <laughs> uh, Orphan Annie like references Salem's lot. Uh-huh. Like directly. Okay. Um and she mentions like like there's weird stuff going on all over the place. Head up to Salem's lot and find in and ask anyone what happened for like 40 years ago oh, <laughs> if wow. there's even anyone anyone up there anymore. Huh. Um so that was pretty cool. Yeah. Also, uh Tim mentions um mentions he mentions to luke because luke says something about annie and tim mentions that annie isn't always like he says well you know annie's not really on the beam so to speak oh (laughs) yeah pretty cool um another thing this is more conjecture and everything the kind of concept of this book the concept of the story of these kids using their mental power to um break down society basically Mm -hmm. um it's very similar, like like you alluded to, the Breakers of the Beams and the Dark Tower series and everything. Um, I kind of wonder if the depiction of the Beam Breakers in the movie The Dark Tower, which shall not be referenced too much, um, <laughs> I wonder if that influenced King in some way for this. Does that make sense? Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. There's yeah. no way to know. Yeah. I don't know. He probably wants to get that out of his mind. 
Just as much as the rest of us? It's tricky. <laughs> because he did endorse it, but that was he right did. before it came out. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. Yeah. But, um, uh, maybe. Yeah. So, any final thoughts on the Institute? Um, just, just that I, I thought it was a good middle of the road Stephen King book. You yes. know, I, I really enjoyed parts of it, but some of it was, um, a bit of a chore to get through, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, I mean, 90% of it, I was on board and enjoyed it. Nice. I mean, it was, I really think it's, I've recommended it to a few people. So, nice. Yeah, I enjoyed the crap out of it. I'd probably give it, um, like on a scale of one to ten, I'd probably give it about six and a half. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Uh, on the scale of like five stars, I think I gave it four total. Okay. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, the thing is, I mean, this uh, I've read thirty-five Stephen King novels. Um, this was the thirty-seventh Stephen King book that I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I mean, just those numbers. I mean, there's obviously it's it's a lot. Um, I have this ranked at number twenty two out of those thirty five novels. Okay. Um, so it's not in my top nineteen, but uh, I I I liked it. I really did. I thought it was a, an engaging premise and a a fun story about kids being subjected to horrible <laughs> things. Right. Yeah. Um. Whew, so this does won't break your top nineteen. No, I don't think so. Fine. We will talk more about your top 19 in the few weeks when we talk about Dr. Sleep, I'm sure. Yes. Um, yeah, so ahead on the podcast, we're going to kind of wind down. That's our review of the Institute. Let us know what you guys thought of the book and uh, of our review here. Um, uh, looking ahead on the podcast, I did I did not share this with you, Tiny, but I did map out the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, nothing that we'll have to really stick to too much, but basically... This week, we're releasing The Institute, and then next week, we've already got these episodes recorded and edited, but next week, we're diving into our uh, Shining and Doctor Sleep review series. So we're doing The Shining novel next week, the movie, the Stanley Kubrick movie uh, the week after, and then uh, the week before Thanksgiving, we're going to do The Shining miniseries. And then finally, the week of Thanksgiving, I'm really hoping we can pull this together. Uh, we're going to hopefully release two episodes that week, the Doctor Sleep novel and Doctor Sleep movie review. Nice. Um, yeah. And then sometime in December, I think, is when we're going to get around to actually doing Castle Rock. So, Sweet. Um, so, yeah. So look ahead to that. And also check out Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for exclusive uh, content for Patreon supporters. We just, re- we just recorded, like two hours ago, um, <laughs> uh, a conversation about the scared, the most scared we've ever been. Um, <laughs> so check that out. Just pledge a dollar and you get access to all that content um yeah and if you pledge five dollars you get access to video content uh, we just released a video review of motherless brooklyn and that came at the heels of six heartland film festival vlogs that i did of increased fatigue and exhaustion throughout each one <laughs> so pledge five dollars for that and that also gets you access to the rss feed for the uh, patreon supported stuff too so all right, I think that does it. Um, Tiny, uh, good luck in Louisville. Thank you. Yep, hope you don't get uh, trapped in any cars by a rabid St. Bernard. <sighs> yeah, me too. Or don't go back in time. That'd be kind of cool, yeah, That would actually be really cool. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that'll Anyways. do it for this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number.
And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Again, it was night, and it was like, I think it was like early fall, so it was getting down into the 50s, I want to say, mm-hmm. at night. I think it was getting getting cool. Um, and he had, the home, the home had like some sort of, woods Mm -hmm. around back and i had like a a flashlight nice flashlight typical security guard Mm -hmm. and like i was shining the flashlight into the woods and the light picked up and reflected three sets of eyes Mm -hmm. looking back at me and they were not moving and they were absolutely like pairs of eyes like three pairs of eyes i was like what the fuck Tower Junkies is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to TowerJunkiesPod.com slash archive. You can also like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TowerJunkiesPod and follow us on Twitter at TowerJunkiesPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at towerjunkiespod.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and OV Anthologypod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. Kitty!